All right. So I'm going to present to you, I'm not really changing subjects, although it might appear that way just a little bit, but I want to start talking about the, uh, the straightness of the way, and we introduced that just before we, we closed uh, the previous um, time slot for our class here, and we talked about God does not walk in crooked paths. I'd like to talk next about um, straight is the gate. And the context of, of this subject has to do with baptism. Okay? And I was thinking about um, straight is the gate. A gate is how you enter something, right? A gate of a garden, um, whatever whatever the case may be, gate to a, you know, a yard, um, and this is, it's a point that you go through. And straight is the gate kind of caught my attention um, with these next couple of verses that we're going to read. And I was reminded of uh, Kyle's comment yesterday about um, uh, light travels in a straight line. And so it's interesting that that aspect of God, you know, being light and being truth and never varying... And the fact that he is light and light travels in a straight line, all of those things just started to make a lot of sense to me. Um, if you have your scriptures, turn to Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 22. It says, Repent therefore, and enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be who go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I want to pause there for just a minute and just call your attention to the spelling of that word straight. So where's my school teachers in here? Tell me how you spell the word straight as in a straight line. S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. G-H-T. So what is the spelling of the scripture that we just read? S-T-R-A-I-T. Straight. It's spelled differently. What does that mean? Greg knows the answer. Who else knows the answer? Barb. (laughs) The Strait of Panama. There's a lot of good examples. So... If you look up Webster, and I got my old dictionary, my old college dictionary from 1984, which doesn't seem like that long ago to me, but that was, yeah, that's quite a while ago. (laughs) Um, Straight means a narrow waterway connecting two large bodies of water. And I think if you just think about that example, it is narrow. To Greg's point, he was holding up his fingers. It's narrow. And it's a waterway connecting two larger bodies of water. And if the gate by which we should enter is straight, meaning it's narrow and it has to do with water, I think this scripture has to do with baptism. And that's the way that you enter in to that gate. And it's a straight course. And so it adds a little bit of a different layer to things as you think about the attributes of God and never varying from what he says 
always his path is straight and it's not crooked. And he gives us this example to point us to that narrow point that he wants us to enter into. And that's baptism. That's the covenant that we need to make with our Heavenly Father. Is baptism essential for our salvation? 100%. It's essential for our salvation. And so you see the need that we have to be an evangelical people. Because if the Lord is extending salvation to all of mankind then they need to know about this. They need to know that baptism is essential for their salvation. Barb? Yeah. It's... <laughs> That's right. Or that path. There's only one narrow baptismal path you get to choose. It's not multiple choice. That's the test that I do the best on. <laughs> Uh, not on yours. <laughs> the multiple choice. No, there's just one narrow gate which you enter. Greg? I like the correlation you're drawing because in bringing about the inspired version, there was a key piece left out in King James, and that was repent. Because in King James Version, it's uh, the same chapter but verse 13, and it misses repent and that is the key aspect towards heading towards that baptismal con or uh, baptismal uh, covenant covenant golly dang is the the repentance process that has to be taking place to move towards that point well think about it. i've described for you yesterday the uh, the picture of the church and uh, when we teach our children the steps up to the church what's the first step faith, repentance, and then you enter into those two doors, one's baptism of water and another's baptism of the Spirit. I just love that example because it's simple, you know, and I can get my head around that. And uh, so, you know, to your, your point. Reggie, do you have a comment? I think oftentimes as humans, we, we, we think God comes down to us. No, we have to go up to him. Yeah. It it's and because of that, because of his plan of salvation, because of all that has taken place and I don't like using this word, but it's, it's within a confined area. It's it's not well. I'll go over there and come back, and I'll go over there and come back. That is a part of repentance. But if we're going to go to him, we've got to go up to him. He doesn't come down to us. We do have to go up to him. And what's the priesthood's responsibility, especially Melchizedek priesthood? Bring bring the people up to him. Raise us up on higher ground, you might say. Let's look at a, uh, another scripture. Turn over to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 3, and verse 10. For it is a day of power 
Yea, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough place and the rough ways made smooth. So I was thinking about, you know, how it is that the attributes of God are all of these things: straight, never varies, eternal round. No, he's not crooked. And then this scripture describes for me the earth on which we live and what it is that the Lord is going to do for us. He is going to make the rough places plain and the crooked places straight. That's the promise of his coming, isn't it? That's the promise that we have with Zion is that these mountains will be made low. And it's only the mountain of the Lord that will be there. So he's going to smooth all of these things out. Greg? One of the things that I like about the, the definition of straight, as, it, as far as 1828 is concerned, is it says that it's not devious. And when you look at devious, or look at crooked, then the synonym to crooked is devious, and the first definition is out of the common way or track. And whenever I think about a straight and narrow path, just because I'm agriculturally minded, I think about the paths that cattle follow. When left to their own design, they line up, and there's just one beaten trail where one hoof can fit. And when you're running them to sort them and whatnot, it's a mess, but... When left to their own design and their own device, it is a narrow path. And to deviate from that, it's really hard to actually get them to deviate out of it, which is what our calling should be, is to stay in that straight and narrow. But I find it interesting that it's out of the common way or track whenever one is being devious, which is not God's nature. Interesting. And all nature bears witness of him, doesn't it? There's just one great example right there. Thanks for for sharing that, Greg. Any other thoughts before we move on? Tom? Talking about this, it makes me think where Christ says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the way, the truth and the light. Anyway, the way is that straight and narrow path. There's only one way that you can come to God, and that's, that's that straight and narrow path. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, someone preached, I think, the other night, talking about uh, Jesus and um, and his baptism, you know. And he did that that he might fulfill all righteousness. And he was holy, and yet he had to be baptized. He knew that he did, um, if nothing else, so that he would bear witness to us of what we had to do, that we had to follow just like Jesus did and go down into the waters of baptism. Pretty interesting when you think about it. Our Lord Jesus Christ is awesome in what he has done for us, the guidance that he has given us, the the instruction that he has provided. He is truth and light. And uh, we need to seek to that with every fiber of our being, saints, with every fiber of our being, All right, let's move on to uh, kind of the next section here on our outline. It talks about detect 
the difference in light. So we started our class talking about this, how Moses was able to detect that Satan didn't have the same light that God had. And he called him out on it. Moses called out Satan on it. And uh, there's a great quote that I have. I think it's great anyway, here on our uh, on our sheet, and it comes from one of Eddie Butterworth's books, if you're familiar with that. Uh, he was a patriarch in the church, uh, and it's from the book Prepare Ye, Prepare Ye. And it said, We should herald from every pulpit and press that Satan's light, although enticing to the natural eye, can blind the spiritual eyes of all who follow it. Unless Satan's victims can detect the difference between the true light of Christ and the light of Satan, they will be entombed in his domain, finding themselves in bondage on the broad way to destruction. Wow. How many sermons do we hear from the pulpit Heralding, heralding the attributes of Satan. Not very many. I confess, not very many. On occasion, we do. And we need, I think, to understand a little bit more about the enemy so that we can know to choose the right. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think that's in and of itself the only thing we should hear from the pulpits, but we do need to have an understanding, like we've been talking this week, about uh, Satan's plan, about his tactics, especially the things that we recognize, and then going forth that we might be able to, uh, uh, to choose the right or choose the light instead. Uh, Brenda? I don't want to dwell dwell on this. Of course, you know we don't ever want to dwell on anything negative, but but that's probably the reason why this happened. But in the 80s, the church came out with a new hymnal, and every reference to any Satan was taken was removed. That purple hymnal doesn't have anything in it. Yeah, why do you suppose that is? I'm not going to speculate. I'm not, I'm not going to speculate. Eric, Eric's going to touch it. <laughs> right away, but in the Book of Mormon, it says, Others will he uh, tell them there is no Satan. There you go. Alma 12. <laughs> That's one of, one of the tactics. Yeah, and what's it go on to say? Is that the scripture that talks about them, you know, the getting bound? Let's look at that. You remembered it when he said it, didn't you? Yeah, good for you, Ed. You got enough voice there to be able to read that one? Yeah. All right. Uh, it's starting at 20, 23 through 28. Second Nephi 12, 23. Correct. And uh, I, 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 a lot of times I speak, especially speaking to the youth, they struggle to know why does these 
trials come, why doesn't God just take care of this? But he tells us the trials that will come because he loves us and wants us to recognize them. So there's four plays to listen for. One is to rage in our hearts. The second is to pacify. The third is to flatter us. And the fourth is to whisper in our ears. It says, starting in 23, For the kingdom of the devil must shake, and they which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance. Or the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains, and they be stirred up to anger and perish. For behold, in that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men, and stir them up to anger against that which is good. Seeing that today. And others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security that they will say, All is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. And behold, others he flattereth away and telleth them, There is no hell. And he saith unto them, I am no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. Boy, thank you so much. That There's so much in those words right there. And what would you call it, a playbook, his playbook? The devil's playbook, yeah. So the first, repeat the four, Ed. He'll anger, calls anger or raging in the hearts. The second one, he pacifies. He pacifies us by... I use this analogy with the youth by taking, bringing an actual pacifier and showing them and, and, and show what is this used for. It's just to soothe the child. They think they're being fed. It quiets them. They quit screaming. They quit yelling. But they're getting no nutrients. And it's like us sucking on the world. We get nothing, but it just lulls us away. And anyway, sorry. And the, the third one's a flattering, and the fourth one is to whisper in our ears. Thank you very much. Makes sense, doesn't it, when you hear it? Sure does. So you can see his playbook time and second second Nephi twelve twenty three through everybody get that? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, and as Ed mentioned, you know, um, this uh, rage in the hearts of the children of men. Uh, boy, we see that today, don't we? It, it just pains my heart, but, but you see it. And you can't even um, attempt to stand up for Christ without them coming down on you hard. And they call it the cancel culture. I'm going to cancel you out. And they're going to find some flaw that you might have, and they're going to try to exploit that flaw to discredit you and get you to silence you, really. And it's uh, it's a fearful thing. But what did we talk about yesterday? Fear not. Stand up for that which is right. Eric? I, I know I, I read different news clips and things, and... Uh, it will uh, talk about this. Uh, well, for instance, this is one of them. They have these billboards uh, now. Says he gets us. Okay, have you seen those billboards? No. And uh, why well, I have? They're they're around town. But yeah, he gets us. It was during the Super Bowl as well. That was it was one of the oh, advertisements. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. So I was reading about that. You know who's doing that, and and then it said 
And so in the news thing, it says, but one of the groups supporting this has anti-LGBT, you know, information or or feelings, you know. And so they they like to come and and they say, uh, well, you're a hater. (laughs) So my daughter does. We we say it back and forth to each other, you know, if you say something negative, well, you're just a hater. <laughs> but, you know, that's what they like to do. They like to say, well, you know, you're 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 talking about Christ, but you're preaching you're preaching hate because you're preaching against the LGBT, for instance. They they, they like to do that. Um, and and then that just pulls the the people who are, you know, listening to these voices, you know, that uh, well you're just negative. You're just a negative person, and and of course that's not your message at all. Your message is positive, salvation, yeah, through Jesus Christ. But you know, like you said, they like to find something there to pull apart, draw out, to to discredit you. Uh, you know, people. Yeah. Don't follow you. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times I think we just need to be equipped that we we just have to point back to the Word of God. It says, well, it says right here, don't you believe the Word of God? Well, yeah, I believe then you don't understand them, you know, because it's very clear on some of these current social issues. And I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole. We, we'll spend a lot of a lot of time, you know, talking about that. But yeah, great, great conversation. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, Reggie. The thing that we need to be careful of is we don't have to defend the gospel. Yeah, we don't have to defend it. And if, and if we have own. allowed, going back to the spirit that is given to us with, when we're born, and then that's added unto us with our baptism, which has authority, we are given the Holy Ghost. And if we use that gift as we should, we don't have to defend. And Christ never defended. He was antagonized against, but he never defended. He stayed. And that's what he did with Satan. He stated to Satan. And that's what that's what Adam did when the angel came and asked him, Why do you do this? I know not except that God commanded me. God was the answer. Excellent. Very well said. All right, let's look at another uh, let's look at another scripture here. This is in Second Corinthians. Chapter 11, I'm going to start at verse 13 and read about three verses here. 2 Corinthians 11, starting at 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, And no marvel that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So this just goes back to that thought we talked about earlier, that uh, Satan is a great imposter. And what do you think his motivation is for being an imposter? Why does he want to try to replicate the things of God? If we know God is light, 
an angel and Satan appears as an angel of light. Why does he want to be an apostle or make himself out to be an apostle of Christ? What is an apostle, by the way? What's the definition? A special witnesses of Jesus Christ. Satan knows who Jesus Christ is. Guarantee you he knows who he is. So why does he want to transform himself into an apostle? Or or Satan's workers, why do they want to transform themselves into these things? Tom? He wants to lead the followers of Christ away from Christ. He wants to lead he wants to lead you away. Haley, up here. Um, the thought I had is it, Satan is transforming himself. His ministers transform themselves. When I think about people in stories like witches that transform themselves into something else, or it, it seems like him and his followers, they're transforming themselves when really Jesus is the only one that can truly transform us. And it's like they're trying to take that upon themselves. Kind of, I don't, in a way, differently, obviously. They're not doing it the correct way, but it's kind of taking it upon themselves in a way. That, I mean, that's a great observation. We talked earlier, you know, in the uh, the, the book of Genesis, how Satan said, I'm going to, I'll go and redeem mankind, and I, surely I will do it. And by doing that, he took away man's agency. And so, to your point, I think that's what they're trying to do. They're taking away the agency when really Christ is the only way that we can be completely transformed. Greg? It's completely accurate what is being said here. And I don't, I didn't enjoy it, but I witnessed it firsthand. And it was at a time of extreme weakness. But the difference is, when challenged with who Jesus Christ is, they cannot maintain that transformation that they put themselves through. And then they revert back to their origin. Whereas anything that comes from God will maintain itself when in the presence of Jesus Christ. Very well said. Tom? Yeah, just piggybacking off of what Greg said, the Lord says, by their fruits you shall know them. And if you look at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, you know, those fruits should be exhibited by those people that are trying to lead us away, yeah. trying to deceive us. And, and sometimes being patient allows us to see those fruits bear out, whether they're true or whether they're false. So, yeah, excellent point. Turn to Second Nephi chapter 6. Let's look at verses 22 through 23. Uh, Let's see. Maybe it would be helpful. Let me back up a couple of verses. So 2 Nephi chapter 6. Let's look at verse 20 and we'll read down through 23. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must be subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil to rise no more. And our spirits must have become like unto him, 
and we would become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God and to remain with the father of lies in his misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformed himself nigh unto an angel of light and stirreth up the children of men under the secret combinations of murder and of all manner of secret works of darkness. He stirreth up the children of men. That is what Satan does. He stirs us up and turns us against each other and all of those things that we see taking place uh, in the world today. Let me read to you, if you've got your handout, it's right at the bottom of page 10. And I need to tell you, have you look at your handout. Do you have page 11 in your handout or is it skipped? I'm fearful that you have it. Okay. You don't? Okay. There's a few that, okay, 11 and 12 are missing. We may have to make some more copies, so I apologize. I think something, I've been having technology problems at home, so. (laughs) Stephen, that's not nice. Stephen's waiting on me to print our memory cards for this month, and it's already July 5th, and I haven't printed them yet. So he was reminding me of that fact. Thank you, Stephen. Um, The bottom of page 10, I want to read um, this little account, and it's not very pleasant. Okay, it's kind of a scary thing to think about, but it is recorded in a little pamphlet that I have called Try the Spirits, and it's written by Joseph Jr., and if you want to go back to the original source, it actually comes from Times and Seasons, uh, Volume 3, and I've got a footnote down there, page 743 to 748. Um, This is a little... You know, there were some things happening in the early church. Satan knew what was taking place with the restoration, the fullness of the gospel, and what Joseph Jr. was doing. And and so he was actively working trying to um, interrupt or overthrow that effort. And Joseph Jr. recognized this, and he gave some really wise counsel. If you don't have that pamphlet, maybe you can look it up in Times and Seasons and read the whole thing. It's not terribly long. Um, this is just one excerpt from that that I want to read to you. So I'm skipping down here to the bottom of the page because I think it just goes along with kind of the track that our class is going here in our discussion. It says, There have been ministering angels in the church which were of Satan. So that's concerning to me appearing as an angel of light. So Satan appearing as an angel of light. And then he gives an example. He says, A sister in the state of New York had a vision who said it was told her that if she would go to a certain place in the woods, an angel would appear to her. And so she went to that appointed, at the appointed time and saw a glorious personage descending, arrayed in white, with sandy-colored hair, And he commenced and told her to fear God and said that her husband was called to do great things, but that he must not go more than 100 miles from home or he would not return. Whereas God had called him to go to the ends of the earth, and he has since been more than a thousand miles from home and yet is still alive. 
Many true things were spoken by this personage, and many things that were false. How it may be asked, was it known to be a bad angel? By the color of his hair. By the color of his hair. And this was one of the signs that he can be known by and by his contradicting a former revelation. So I'm not prepared to talk about the color of the hair. I don't know much uh, about that, to be honest with you. Um, But in this particular account, he had sandy-colored hair. And I think they'd been given a revelation or some counsel previously about the appearance of angels. But what he did was he contradicted a previous revelation that had been given. Okay, so there was contradiction, one on the one hand and one on the other, and the two did not agree. What do you think the purpose of that angelic form or presence appearing to this woman, what was its purpose? Gina? Incite fear. And told, told the woman, you better not let your husband go more than 100 miles away. Was he doing a good work? Probably so. He was preaching roundabout and going thousands of miles away as he was called by the prophet of the church to go and to be a minister or a missionary of Jesus Christ. And Satan subtly came in and said, better not go more than 100 miles away or he'll never come back. Haley? It also reminds it makes me think it's um, a reversal of authority, too. He's going to, I don't know, it makes me think of like Satan going to Eve and then her going to Adam instead of Christ to the husband. To oh, that's wife. a great observation. I hadn't even thought of that. Great example. Thank you, Haley. Uh, Reggie and then Greg. Several things here. First of all, Satan will work upon the fears of individuals. We don't know if this wife had a fear of her husband leaving. Second of all, look at all the testimonies that have been given of angels. Has the color of hair ever been detected? Third, I go back to E.C. Briggs' testimony of Satan. His mom, once again, it was revealed to him through, through revelation that his mom would be healed. His mom became sick again, and he, and, the, and Satan told him that she was going to die, and so on. So we gave him a whole bunch of stuff, and he needed to go to work. So he stopped by a church on his way to, to pray. And during that time of praying, there was things that were given to him, and reiterated from the scriptures that in there was falseness there. And after it was all said and done, it was made known unto him by God that he had this experience as a, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but it would be this experience, he would refer back to this experience many times in reference to what would be taking place in the future to know whether or not it was of God. And that, those are the three things that come out there is, is do, we, do we read testimonies? Do we know the surety of the testimonies? Do we, do we know of our own fears? 
And then, do have we had an experience which we were made known, made known to us that we had this experience, so that we could use that as a benchmark? That's the word I wanted to use as a benchmark for future experiences. Very good. Foundational. Yes. Yep. Greg. Satan knows how to counterfeit light. He was the son of the morning star. So at that time, he knew what light was. And so he he can counterfeit that to appear as such. And again, he's not afraid to be bold enough to say, fear God. But what I found interesting in that is there was no revelation of Jesus Christ being the son of God. Isn't that true? And and that's a huge miss in that revelation because it's only in and through Jesus that we're able to come back to the Father. That's the only way. And that was a huge section that was missed in the quote-unquote revelation that was being given through the back door playing yeah. on lack of faith. Lack of faith. He plays on fear. He plays on our lack of faith. He plays on our um, our understanding or lack of understanding of the scriptures. There's all those things that are available that Satan can play upon that influences us or confuses us. He's the master, I think, of confusion. And he played on her pride. Because if he could have convinced her that she knew more than the prophet and that she knew more than her priesthood husband, then he could convince her of so many other things as well. And he just would have whittled her down till there was nothing left. Pride is tricky. Pride cometh before the fall, that's for sure. Good observations, you guys. Joe? <clears throat> I think of... I think of uh... Where it says there'll be a sign of his coming. There'll be rumors and rumors. And when he says, I'll be there, they're going to say I'm there and I'm, I'm, I won't be. I'll be here and I'll be there and they'll say that's where I'm at. And I it's not happening. Isn't that true? And then uh, I, just, I just wanted to say that the great deceit that the devil's doing is that this, our, uh, our, our salvation, this covenant, is available to everybody. Right? It's not just us. Everybody. He loves us all. He gave it to the world. Yeah. He Every wants human. us all to be saved. And that's our jobs to go get those people that are that are that yeah. need to be saved. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Let me read one more thing, Sister Eleanor over here, and then I'm gonna read one last we're running out of time, we'll read one last thing. Sister Eleanor. I'm just going to say we have to be careful that we have we don't have a blind faith. I think that happened a lot in 64. Many people said, the prophet said so, and so I do it. I don't have to compare it with anything else. Yep, very good. Don't want to have just a blind faith. Let me continue reading on. Same um, uh, writings from Joseph Jr. Uh, It's in this, um, this little booklet, Try the Spirits. And it says, And we shall at last come to this conclusion whatever we may think of revelation that without it we can neither know nor understand anything of God or the devil it requires a revealment saints however unwilling 
the world may be to acknowledge this principle, it is evident that they understood nothing of this principle. And it was equally as plain that without a divine communication, they must remain in ignorance. The world always mistook false prophets for true ones. And those that were sent from God, they considered to be false prophets. And hence, they killed and stoned and punished and imprisoned the true prophets. And they had to hide themselves in the deserts and the dens and in the caves of the earth. Isn't that true? The world has always misunderstood or didn't have this revelation the revealment of Jesus Christ. One last thing, I want you to think about the um, um, the occasion where Simon Peter um, went to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord asked him, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, of man am? And they had that conversation. And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. That's the revealment. That's the rock of revelation upon which the church is built. That's the revealment of who Jesus Christ is. Who does that revealment come through? The Holy Ghost. That's the office work of the Holy Ghost to reveal the Father and Son to the children of men. That's our testimony. comes from the Spirit, and we can be sure of that. Dad? He told him, get away from me, Dad. I'm paraphrasing this. Be gone, Dad, because he told Christ that you can't die on a cross. You can't do that. Right. But Christ told him, be gone. You're as a devil. Be gone. Yep. The, and one second later, I mean, this wasn't. The the only one that could could yeah. redeem mankind was Jesus Christ. Yep. Thank you for that. All right, folks. Well, we went through another morning already. Time maybe not for you. Time goes quickly for me. <laughs> so God bless you. Thank you so much for for being here today. There's there's a lot of things that we didn't cover that are on your handout. Feel free to go back and and study those and review those some more, and then. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the light of the body is the eye. So I'd encourage you to read through some of these scripture references here. We'll have a good conversation again tomorrow. So thank you all.